to Into the West, a Middle Earth SBG podcast where we break down and discuss the competitive side of the game. I'm Charles, and with me today are Richard, Ian, Alexander, and featuring our first special guest, Mitchell. How's it going? Great to have you on as a guest. Thanks for having me on. That's my first guest appearance. I'm very excited. (laughs) So we're going to go through just a couple of questions for Mitchell, and then we will go into our featured profile for this episode, which is Amder, Lord of Blades. And finally, in our open topic, we'll be discussing our favorite or most successful tournament list. Before we jump into some questions for Mitchell, I have a new segment to announce, which is a trivia segment. Each week, Ian will be presenting a trivia question. Ian, why don't you give us more details on that? Okay, so basically, like Charles said, we're just going to have a little trivia segment. And the way we're going to have it set up is I have an email set up for the podcast, so you can send your answers to that email. We'll tally up who uh, gets uh, the answers right, and then we'll give them a little shout-out in the, the following episode. So... I'll give you the email right now. It's intothewest90 at gmail.com, and they're all lowercase. And we'll add that to our post on Facebook if you guys want to see it again. So for this week, our first question is, in any edition, which model can move the farthest in one turn with any modifiers? We have an answer for this, but I know there's going to be a lot of really crazy and really cool ways that people can come up with, so we're going to read out the top answers I'm really excited to see what people come up with. So this is any edition since 2001. Any edition from then until now. And all modifiers, right? Whatever they may be. Okay, that's interesting. So listeners, you have two weeks until the next episode to submit your answers, and then we will read out the answers you submit and shout you out on the show. Okay, so Mitchell, where do I start? I remember seeing you at our first event after the new edition dropped. And it was at Games Workshop. It was a small one-day, three-game event. I don't think i seen you before that day. Could you let us know how you found out about our local scene and how you found out about the tournament and uh, what community you're from? Uh, yeah, so I am in the uh, northwest area. So I'm actually in Washington, USA. And I'm normally from a little bit south of Seattle, if people are looking at that. But that's a big landmark that everybody knows. I moved up to uh, close to the border, the Canadian border, back in 2017, I think. And I saw you guys on the group, the West Coast group. I was part of a lot of groups up there. But when the new edition came out and I saw tournaments... I, I was all over it. I, I love tournaments. So I, I was there. And it's it's a quick drive for me, actually. It's less than an hour to hop the border and come see you guys. So, yes, you're right. That was the first event I ever attended for you guys. And I've enjoyed them ever since. Oh, cool. I think, did all of us play in that tournament? Well, yes. I was yeah. definitely there because I was yeah. hosting. Yeah. <laughs> what, okay. And I, I remember what each player played, I think. So Ian played Numenor. And Charles, you were rocking Kaza Doom, so Kingdom of Moria, sorry. And then mm. I played Richard that day, right? Yeah. And I, Richard was playing Moria, yeah. And I don't, I didn't play Alexander, but I think you were rocking Mordor, if I remember right. No, I was playing. Uh, I was definitely playing. If we're talking the first tournament after the new edition, I think I was playing uh, Kaza Doom. Oh, okay. Oh, that's right. Yes, mm. yes, yes. 
So the funny thing about that tournament was that was the very first tournament since my return. I was actually using Charles's models because I didn't own any at the time. I didn't know any of these guys as well. So I just kind of went in and Charles is just like, yeah, play in this tournament, 500 points, casual. And then, yeah, you were one of my opponents. And yeah, you, uh, you handed me that loss. It was a memorable game. <laughs> a cheeky, cheeky way to win when Duran grabs the prize <laughs> and barely gets on your half <laughs> to end the game. <laughs> and since okay. that time, no one but Richard has ever won tournament again. <laughs> hey, that's not actually If you don't mind, can you talk yeah. a little bit more about just uh, the hobby for you? Um, yeah. When when did you start playing, and how has the community in Washington been since you've started the hobby? Uh, great question. So I started. I think I keep getting asked this, but I think I started in '04 or '05. I remember we were in the Two Towers edition, but we were just transitioning to the Blue Book, the Return of the King okay. book. I think that's 2003, book. That's, yeah. 2003. Yeah, something like that, somewhere around there. And uh, so it's been over 15 years now. But uh, I was rocking Rohan back then. I was strong into Rohan. I got into Dwarves back then. Uh, kind of played. We went through the big rise because it was really big in Washington. Um, there was tournaments all over back in like 06. That was like the peak. I remember 06 being a peak. Kind of tapered off a little bit. And then like 09, I want to say, somewhere around there, War of the Ring came out. Was that right? I think somewhere around there. And then so we kind of jumped onto that. But a lot of people dropped off around then. That was the time where a lot of people were going off to college. A lot of people were um, interested in other things. And the hobby kind of died off a little bit. And then when the Hobbit edition came out, I was pretty much, I thought, I was the only player in the Washington group who played anymore. Because Marcus was off to college. And I, I just couldn't find anybody. I kept going to Games Workshop stores and stuff like that and trying to find people. It was really hard, actually. And then I started joining Facebook groups. But again, nobody in the Washington area. And then around you know 2017, when we started getting the buzz about the or 20, beginning of 2018, when we started getting the buzz about the new edition coming out, more groups started to show up. More people started coming back on. Um, I found the American Strategy Battle League, and they had the player map. I found a guy who just moved to Baltimore, uh, met up with him. We started playing. The new edition came out. I got Marcus, my brother, back into it. We roped our other brothers into it, so Matt and Myers into it. And then uh, all of a sudden, people started coming everywhere and started growing our Seattle group. So we decided, well, let's just start a Seattle group then. So kind of like a Washington, but we called it the greater Seattle area. And uh, we had – now we're up to like a pretty good, pretty good number of people. We're like – in the 20 to 30 players consistently play, I think, or post. And yeah, it's pretty good. Some of them aren't exactly in Washington, but they still post from outside. And I think the group's up to like 40 or 50, but I know a lot of those are repeats and some of you guys are on that page and stuff like that. And so that's what we've been doing now. And now I've, I hosted my first tournament before all the COVID stuff came down and I was planning on doing more, but it's kind of been, you know, silent ever since but waiting for that to clear up and then we can start doing some more events because i love events they're really fun yeah i think i could speak on behalf of all the other guys we're looking forward to coming down to attend your tournament there in june yeah i was looking forward it was gonna be fun uh but we'll we'll do it soon i guarantee you i'm not giving up on it we'll do it soon whenever we can yeah we definitely needed you know after the hammond brothers came up and um took the podiums last tournament we kind of wanted a little bit of payback I'm just happy I managed to deny the sweep. 
<laughs> yes. Yeah, we got we got some Canadian pride up here. Yeah. <laughs> Was one tournament, one tournament. Yeah. <laughs> kind of impressive how quickly uh, the Seattle group has been growing, though. Like I see so much activity on the Facebook page. Just the number of regulars that show up on your monthly events before the pandemic. It's a pretty big group. I was also surprised because not everybody can attend every single time. A lot of people do post, but we were getting an average about 10 people every month because we do like a get together, meet up, meet and greet, you know, say hi to the new players, play people you haven't played before, kind of try to grow the community a little bit. But yeah, we were up to like almost about 10 people every time. We had like four or five tables every time at the store we go to in Everett and stuff like that. So it it was pretty cool to see. When it comes to the game, what is your favorite army? This can be like how they look, or if you want to specify like the models, which ones are fair models, your favorite in terms of rules, or you can give your top three armies. I would uh, slap myself if I didn't say number one was Kaza Doom. So I'm a dwarf player at heart. I will always be true to that, um, but I have been branching out a little bit. I actually haven't played Durand in a while, but that was probably my number one. Since, you know, the Balin set came out, Balin and the 10 Khazad Guard, I think it was, or 9 Khazad Guard set, I got that, and I've just been hooked on them ever since. I love the Khazad Guard. I loved uh, running Balin and Dan at the time, back when it was old Dan. Um, that was super fun. Mixing in when the, the new Khazad Doom edition came out, and you got Durin, you got Madril, you had the Vault Wardens, you had the Iron Guard. And then suddenly the Rangers and everything like that, and I, I just bit all into that. And actually, that's my largest army that I have. Um, just because I played that in War of the Ring too, so it was super fun. I love the models. I love the lore of them. I love the background. I love Durin's not my favorite character. Actually, I would say Dan's my favorite character in the lore. But uh, yeah, the dwarves I'd say probably my, my favorite faction to play with. It'd be my most fun. Like that. That's the one I'm true to. I know you play a lot of um, evil side as well. Do you have a favorite for evil? Uh, yeah, it's there's three that are really, really close to each other. Um, you have the Easterlings, obviously. You have the Condish, and then you have uh, Moria, probably, because I love all the monsters. Some solid choices. It's the theme for today with the Easterlings. I, yeah. What a coincidence. We invited an Easterling weird. player <laughs> onto an episode of, about Anvir. That's kind of weird. <laughs> Coincidence? <laughs> I think not. No motive. We didn't plan this at all. What are you talking about? What a surprise, guys. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm honored. <laughs> One of the cool things about having Mitchell driving out to our tournaments is that he almost always brings a new army or like something different. And uh, we like seeing a variety of armies in our events. So always interesting guessing what Mitchell is going to bring. I do like playing things that are not popular let's just like um i like finding the unique armies yeah that's the way to say it so i usually actually try to figure out like what armies what's the common armies you know and like try to figure out what to play to bring so that i don't duplicate someone else but yeah it's it's really fun for me to try to find if anybody's known me they know i like a challenge so usually whenever someone says well this is no good it can't work well that's usually okay now i'm gonna figure out how it's gonna work now and this is my goal in life to make make it work somehow (laughs) have fun with it do you want to use this opportunity to plug your own podcast the duran show oh yeah oh yeah of course uh so the duran show we started that not i mean that was what back in april i think we started that one that was just me and my brothers we obviously all play it there's four of us 
one of them's in the army, so he can't really do the podcast anymore. But he he tries to fill in every once in a while if he can. But he's pretty busy. So it's mainly just the three of us, me, Marcus, and Matt. And uh, we like to, you know, throw banter back at each other, tell each other that we're idiots, and kind of like talk about our favorite hobby right now. So that's the Duran Show. We have an Instagram, and we're on all the podcast platforms. I think we've all listened to the podcast, and uh, we recommend others checking it out. All right. So does anyone have any questions for Mitchell? If not, we'll just jump into the next segment. Why Earl the Young? Oh, good <laughs> question. Earl the Young. Because you never see him played anymore. I'd go back to the armies I want to see. I want to take armies that nobody's ever seen, right? Where you throw it on the table and they're like, oh, I actually haven't seen that. Or I haven't seen that in years, right? So nobody plays Earl the Young anymore, right? With obvious reason, because the, the legendary legions are good and the, the Rohan is good. And it's pretty limited when you take Earl. You'd have to basically give up your army bonus or take it as like a themey game. And when I did originally play him, I was like, oh, I wonder what this would do. This would be pretty fun. This is theme. I did not think it was that competitive. I really didn't. And uh, I threw it on the table and it did really, really well. So I kept upgrading it and enhancing it and improving the lists. And yeah, now it's one of my go-to armies <laughs> this year, at least. Next year, I'll be on to something else. I was really dubious when I heard about it because you can't take any other named heroes with it, but you can mm-hmm. ally with Gondor, right? Yes. So... You can sneak in the extra uh, strike with Knights of the White Tower and stuff. So you can actually get like a decent number of like mid-tier heroes in there, which is surprising. I, I haven't gotten to play against it, but it, it is a really uh, cheeky army. Actually, I, Ian, you can take named heroes, just not for a minister. You can take named Rohan heroes. Oh, but you, you lose, lose the, the army bonus. bonus. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then everything becomes impossible. So if you do that, you can only play Rohan and you lose the army bonus. But yeah, if you're going for the themey fields of Calebrant, yeah, you can get the Knights of the White Tower for some strike. I did a King of Men conversion because you have to if you're doing this. I mean, it's the only times you're going to play King of Men, too. Same thing with Earl. You got to have fun with it. And so, yeah, it was it was pretty fun throwing a tribute there just to really make people upset, <laughs> see them bang their heads on the table. <laughs> Richard is still crying from that. I think Mitchell will uh, dive more into that army in our open segment today. Can't wait for that. To relive that moment. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we have our profile segment, which is Amdur, Lord of Blades, today. Sauron is marshalling an army. Easterlings and Southrons are passing through the Black Gate. How many? Some thousands more come every day. Great profile. I'm just going to start that there. <laughs> okay. I'll just go through the basic stat line of Amdur, Lord of Blades. So he's a hero of valor from the Easterling army list uh, at 130 points. Move 6, fight 6, strength 4, defense 6, 3 attack, 3 wounds, courage 5, 3 might, 3 will, and 1 fate. He comes with heavy armor and third twos, the hand and a half elven made sword. He has heroic strike, heroic challenge, and he can take an armor horse for 15 points. So, Mitchell, I know you like this profile. Give us a rundown of what you think of Amdur Lord of Blades. I honestly have never played an Easterling game without him. So that's just how critical I think he is. He does so many things for your army and... uh if you use him right, he can be a little fragile, obviously, with the defense six, one fate. 
But uh, if you use him right, he can just absolutely take over a game. And, you know, he's got a lot of buffs to go with that. He's got the blood and glory, obviously. So he's gunning for your, I mean, I, when I say Amder, like automatically any Rohan player hates him because they're all fight five, right? And he gets the strikes for free. Any, like most evil characters, obviously people like Glorfindels, uh, Bulgs, Azogs, anything fight seven or above, you know, he'll struggle with, but anything fight six, he still does pretty good because it's an elven made weapon. Mm. Uh, anything lower than fight six, oh my gosh, he'll ruin your day. And then obviously if he does kill, he's, he counts as a banner for the Easterlings. And if he kills your leader, he becomes the six inch banner. So it's like an escalation. Not only is he killing your heroes, getting might back, killing your leaders, buffing the army. I mean, he just makes everything work. Just to uh, run through the special rules quickly. I'm looking at the list and I'm just amazed that he has six special rules. I, I don't know how many heroes uh, in the game have six or more special rules. So he has Blood and Glory, which allows him to gain might when he kills heroes. Unyielding Combat Stance, which means that he can't be trapped while he's still standing? Uh, no, anytime he gets knocked over for any reason, on a 4+, he remains standing. Oh, okay, sorry, I'm thinking of uh, Pre-Agility. Yes. Um, he has Phalanx, which means he can... He can double back away with oh, the, yeah. the Pike Shield, and they okay. can... Uh, so that way he doesn't interrupt the how people make way in the Phalanx, if you run okay. it with that, yeah. He has Gleaming Horde, which is essentially shield wall when mounted. He has a shield yes. wall rule. That applies to the mount as well. And then he has Herald of Victory, which um, Easterlings treat him as a banner, and if he kills an enemy leader, the banner is increased to six inches for the rest of the game. And then he has Lord of Blades, which allows Amder to declare a heroic strike for free if the other hero declares a heroic strike. Yeah, a hero in combat. And what's unique about this is he can change his heroic action. So if he does call like a combat and the hero opposing him calls the strike, he can change his heroic action to a strike as well. He still loses the point of might, but that's pretty unique because not a lot of characters can change their heroic actions after they've declared one. Personally, I haven't had a lot of experience playing using this model, but I've come up against him a couple times. And just looking at the profile right now... He just seems like ridiculous value. So I know in the past episodes, we talked a little bit about Suladan, about how good of a value he is. But I think Amder is like pretty close up there as well. Just going with the free banner as well. And with these six special rules, I think if you discount them at some of the special rules at five to 10 points, essentially you're paying 100 points for him. And then... You know, the banner is another 25 points. So his base cost is just for a stat line at like under 100 points is just ridiculous. The Fight 6, the Elven Blade, 3 Might, um, even Courage 5 is really solid. Yeah, I think he's definitely underrated because we see Suladan allied in um, into a lot of armies, but I don't really see Amdur taken as often. So I remember when I first like opened up this book for like when the new edition came out and like reading through all the profiles, seeing what was different. And when I got to the Easterlings, I just there were so many things in it where I was like, oh, my God, they're like they're really feeling the love this edition. They got like everything got buffed. Like before, Amdor was just kind of like a buffed captain. Now he's like a big hero. Like he he, he can carry it with like all the biggest ones like Aragorn's, Boromir's, everybody else. So. Yeah, it's it's crazy difference that uh, that has been made. As for what you guys said, I think yeah, he's just he's really good at dueling heroes, and which is kind of unique 
to him, I guess, until the other, the whole list, honestly, is they have a lot of, well, two profiles of Blood and Glory, which is more than any other list in the game. And that is an awesome special rule when you have uh, heroes like this that are good at dueling. So even though I think you're going to end up at low-ish might in the list, that's a pretty good way to sneak some more in. Pretty wicked, honestly. Yeah, because these days almost everybody's including a captain that has a march in there, right? Because they want to get the march in the profile. So there's almost guaranteed uh, not only might you can eliminate from your opponent, but also something you can get back to yourself. Yeah, no, it's... I want to run the profile now, and honestly, I think I, I think I would if I actually had a mounted version of him with my evil stuff. I only have him on foot, though. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's uh, his stat line is pretty solid and pretty good. He's just an assassin, and you might not be able to tell that if you aren't familiar with his special rules. Because him getting three strikes, potentially, and the elven made sword, he's able to beat down a lot of heroes that are well over 100 points. And with Blood and Glory, he can just keep replenishing his might. He might not even use that much in the first place if he gets free heroic strikes. I think he's the only evil model that has the Elven Made Sword, which is really interesting. I think the only thing he's really lacking is heroic actions. He has a strike, which is, is a really good one if you're a hero killer, but he doesn't have the march or the defense. But other than that, I think he's a really good leader. You know, he can do well in any sort of scenario where you're trying to kill an enemy leader or trying to kill a, assassinate a specific target. But that actually brings up a good point. Um, sorry, Mitchell. When you say he doesn't have defense and he's only defense six with one fate, I kind of see a different potential from him where, as a hero of Valerie, I see that you could maybe ally him with another army and not take him as your leader and then just throw him in as a beat stick. And then that way you're kind of avoiding that weakness. I was going to say the same thing. I actually really like that he's only Hero of Valor on the profile. Yeah. Leaves good. your options open. And yeah. uh, actually, that is how I run him a lot of the times. If I take Kamul or another Valor, he's not my leader. If I if I can have an option of him not being my leader, I don't. Because you're taking the most risk with him. The only I think the only way you need to play, you have to play with him is to take the most risks. Because he, he can go down fast. Let's, I mean, that's the obvious weakness. He can go down real fast. You can... Uh, but if you're not taking those risks, if you're not like gunning for someone and making your opponent uncomfortable, that I mean, that's what he's for, right? That's why you're paying for him. Going off of what Charles said about how he doesn't always have to use his might, it's so true. And often what you end up doing is actually using his hand and half sword, knowing that you can use extra might to bump it back up if you need that six. Because if you kill the hero, whoever you're gunning for, you get the might point back. So you got to use it anyways. So that's a lot of times what happens. And if you play Lords of Battle or Contest of Champions, yeah, this is uh, you're getting two points of might back every turn. For so you're really burning might to kill people. So it's a pretty fun profile. A uh, quick question for you, Mitchell, since uh, you probably have the most experience with this profile here out of any of us. Uh, for his Herald of Victory rule, his banner increases when he kills enemy leader. How often has that actually gone off for you? Because I've played, in the new edition, I've played Birder a few times, and his conditional banner effect never went off for me. Uh, I think maybe once out of, like, five games. Good question. When the uh, new scenarios came out, there was one that was called Assassination, right? When you play Easterlings, you've been playing that since the new edition. That's the, that's the scenario. When you play Easterlings, you are picking your hero, and you're like, you go get that guy. That's your goal. That's your mission for this game so actually it goes off a fair amount because Amdur has the horse he has a little bit more range than birder 
Um, he's got the Physix Elven Made weapon. He can get around. He can hero combat great. I've done a hero combat off of a captain, regained the point of might into the leader, and killed the leader. So uh, that was a game against Harad. So I went into a Haradrim King, killed the Haradrim King, went into Suladan, killed Suladan, because he can get around the edge pretty sneakily. Now, that's pretty risky, because if he doesn't successfully get that off, now he's in the enemy backline with almost no support. So you have to be careful with how you do it. But it does go off a fair amount. Not usually at the beginning of the game. It's actually probably close to when an army is about to break. That's when usually you're about to kill the hero. So it's not going to come off a six-inch banner huge, but late game it really helps snowball if you're toppling the enemy a little bit. I would say about 50% of the time you play him. To answer your question, okay. about 50% of the time you play him, you'll you'll get that six-inch banner. That's okay. a lot higher okay. than I would have thought. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't expect that answer. Like I said, that's your goal. You're like, you go get that leader. Because most of the time, mm -hmm. like uh, Ian said, he can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with just about anybody, right? Even uh, Not a Boromir with a banner. That's also a Fight 7 character. That's really, really tough, actually. The last game I played with him, and he went down. But uh, anybody fights six, even, because of the Elven-made weapon. But usually, he can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with just about anybody in the game, and that's his mission. You go get that guy. And then you see their enemy leader trying to kite away from him. And whenever you can get your enemy leader, uh, your opponent's enemy leader, to not do what he wants to do, that's also a victory. So either way, you're win-win. So... Mitchell, I don't know if you're familiar with our rating system, but for each profile, we rate it from 0 to 10. Uh, 0 is a hero that is completely useless, and 10 is one that you would have in every army. So why don't Alexander go first? Well, I'd just add that one thing that I think stuck with me and has really just been the theme is the first thing that you said at the beginning of the conversation, which was essentially Amder is the engine that makes the whole army go. And really, like you said, using him. As a secondary hero, if you use Kamul or if you were to ally into another army like a, a Haradrim with a Suladan, he's really just a devastating profile to throw around. I'm not sure I've ever killed him in any of the games I've played against him. And uh, he has definitely caused me some nightmares in some games. Obviously, having Blood and Glory and Lord of Blades special rule is great. I think in the context of the Easterling army by itself, I think I'd give him a nine. I think, yeah, like um, I was saying before that just rereading his profile makes me want to run him a lot more than I did before. And I was really surprised at how good he was. I think he's an auto take in the Easterling list, which I think automatically gives him probably a seven out of ten. But then the fact that now I'm thinking, should I be allying him into like a Mordor comp or, you know, maybe with the Serpent Horde or other evil men alliances? I would say a solid 8.5. Mitchell, do you want to go? Well, by your very definition, uh, 10 means you never leave home without him, right? So if I'm taking <laughs> Easterlings, I'm never leaving home without him. So I'm bound to give him a 10 uh no he has some, he has some weaknesses obviously i mean the defense no no heroic defense that was pointed out defense six he does die i think that's why it's important to if you can not make him your leader because then you're not giving up vps but you're not worried about it but uh man he can just he can really put some pressure on a hero and make him uncomfortable and uh if he can blitz like you're not afraid to call hero combats because you're not saving for strikes right because he does have the potential to get free strikes i mean uh, he can, he, I would say at least a nine, if not, you know, higher, but. 
Well, I, I'm a little torn because I'm try- I've been trying to make up my mind <laughs> while everybody else was going. I- I'd probably give him like a solid nine. I think just yeah, his, like the weaknesses he he's is like you said his defense is a little low, and in an Eastern list he might have to be your leader depending on what points value you're going at. Which you know if it's lower points you don't really mind, but if you get to higher points and he has to be the leader, it's a little worrisome because you do want to throw him into combat. So that's why I wouldn't give him a 10, even though he can do everything. Like, he does support his troops with the banner. He is good at fighting. Yeah, I don't think that rating would really change outside of a pure Easterling or, like, a green alliance list. Or any any kind of alliance list, honestly. I think I think it'd still stay the same. Yeah, just because he is Valor, so you could pick somebody else, which is nice. Uh, but he still could die. Yeah, and I'll leave it at a 9. Okay. feel bad giving it the lowest rating. I'm going to go with an 8. Which is still a pretty high rating, but the reason for the eight is uh, just his base points cost. So if you put him on the armored horse, which I assume you always take, that brings him up to 145 points. And I think he's really good value, but his banner only affects Easterling keyword models. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah, so when it comes to alliances, you kind of have to build around him a little bit. And also, as a 145 point drop, I mean, you probably wouldn't take him as a single drop, but it's just a lot of points to put into one character. So I think he's really good when you do include him, but I think that you do have to kind of build your list around him. And I don't think he's something that I would be able to squeeze into any army. So eight is a really solid, really excellent hero. Yeah, that's true about the banner, too, because not only does it only affect Easterly models, but it's not actually a banner like Suleran's, so for in terms of VPs and all that, so it's a little bit inferior. Yeah, and on top of that, we've been bashing on his defense, too, and I know some people are going to be like, well, the shield wall, the shield wall, the shield wall never works out in combat. I'm just going to say that now. It never works in combat. That is, uh, that is a protection against shooting. It's really nice to have a defense six horse against shooting. You'll almost never have it in combat. Maybe the first turn of combat, if you put the Dragon Knight and Amder side by side, and then your Cataphract right behind, but that's the only times. Like, it, it's just never going to happen. But then you're also kind of sacrificing one model not fighting. Exactly. Know, for one defense. Exactly. Well, I think it's a good thing we didn't give it 10 across the board, because then I think um, it might have to be nerfed if that's the case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, up next... What we usually do is we have each of us bring an army list with the feature profile, and we'll each uh, give our feedback on each of the lists. So since Mitchell is our special guest and he's the Easterling player of the group, we've had Mitchell bring two Easterling lists. So one of them is a pure Easterling army, and the second one is an Easterling army with an alliance. So Mitchell, why don't you go through your pure Easterling army and give us the rundown of what's in the list and uh, your general game plan when you bring this list to a tournament. All right, so uh, we covered a lot of the points. So when I start unraveling this list, you guys now have some perspective of why I'm doing certain things the way I'm doing. But both of these lists are 800 points. Pure Easterling list, we start out with uh, Kamul, the Easterling on Felbeast, and he is the leader which we pointed out earlier why we're doing that. Because I know some Felbeasts get some negative connotation because they can go down pretty easily. I think where Felbeasts struggle 
is when you take a fellow beast, which is a 50-point tax, it automatically means you have to be in combat. On top of that, not only does it have to be in combat, usually it has to be one of your best combat heroes, right? Well, Kamul regains the will back for every wound he does, not every kill. It's every wound he gets a will back, so he's not going to die by being in combat. And number two, you don't have to risk him because you have someone who's better than him in combat. So that's reasoning right there. In his warband, he's got two Easterling warriors with bow. Uh, that's the whole warband. The reason why I did this is in case of maelstroms, the way the deployments worked out and the warbands worked out, it didn't seem right to put only like five or six soldiers in Kamul's warband, just because if I did get a maelstrom, I'd basically have to abandon them if I get a bad deployment. Whereas if he's almost by himself or just two Easterling warriors to help shield block to get charged, and then he can just fly away to safety or something. In warband number two, I have Amder. That's the big guy we're talking about. And he is on an armored horse. He has five Easterling warriors with shield, five Easterling warriors with pike and shield, and then the five Easterling warriors with pike shield and black dragon. So there's your solid 15 phalanx right there with the big bad Amder behind it. Uh, Warband three, you have a war priest. And this is the interesting thing that I've done with this list is I actually put the war priest on a horse. It's an armored horse. It's 15 points. That's debatable, and I'm still playing with it to make see if it's worth it. I think it is worth it. The last three or four games I've played with it, but I can get into more reasoning if you guys want why that is. Um, in the War Priest Warband, he has five Easterling Warriors with shield, five Easterling Warriors with pike and shield, one Easterling Warrior with pike shield and black dragon, and then one Easterling Warrior with a pike shield, black dragon, and a banner. The last Warband is a Dragon Knight on an armored horse. And for those who don't know, a Dragon Knight is a mini Amder, and he just has an Easterling Cataphract with a Black Dragon upgrade and a Wardrum, and then he has an Easterling Warrior with Pike Shield and Black Dragon. So all in all, that's 35 models at 800 points. You have 8 points of Might, I believe, and 1 Flying Monster, 3 Assassins, 2 Fight 6 Heroes, if you include Kamul using a special rule. So obviously you deploy the Phalanx. Um, one of the reasons why I did an Easterling War Priest on a horse is because if you commit to one solid block, that doesn't usually go well for you because you can usually get surrounded. So you actually do want to fan out as much as you can. And usually there's a piece of terrain, so you won't have to split the terrain or something like that. So it's nice to have the War Priest dance left and right and throw a Blade Wrath on the left side and throw a Fury on the right side or whatever he needs. You can stack the Easterling Warriors going 3-1-3-1-3-1. So that you have three actually fighting, one shielding, three actually fighting. The Easterling Warriors are designed to die slowly, to block, to plug up. This army is all about your heroes. What can your heroes do? So it's all about positioning, uh, powering up Amdor or Dragonite with a Blade Wrath. Getting Fury off if you need to make sure you got to charge something or if you break. But mostly it's for those Blade Wraths because the Blade Wrath goes off on a 2+. Plus. And uh, if you thought Amdor was scary before, Amdor at strength 6 or strength 10 is very, very scary. And then Kamul, kind of keeping your enemy at check with his compels or his flying monster hero combat hurled on the line with flying monster. Yeah, I think, like you said, what we picked up on, what is quite typical of a pure Easterling list, it's very much dependent on the heroes. I do like it a lot just because having Amder, having Kamul on a fell beast and having a Dragon Knight is immediately your triple threat. You have to worry a little bit about your flanks because you have fit in the way of smaller numbers, especially if you're going uh, three deep with the pikes. You're a little bit more prone to being flanked, but they are built to hold up. You do have the cataphracts for a bit of mobility, 
And I think, as you can tell in another episode, I'm a pretty decent fan of the Easterling War Priest. I always appreciate putting your spellcaster on an armored horse. Being able to get that blade wrath on one of three meaty combat heroes is quite devastating. I think for a pure list, it really doesn't get much better than this. Of course, some people would call it a bit boring just because of the lack of troop options, but I really love the heroes in the list. I think all in all, I've got to give it a pretty good hero of valor. That brings up an excellent point you talked about um, really quick. Just forgot about the war drum that I casually dropped in there. There's your mobility. So yes, low model count, but I can get across the board pretty fast. And it's pretty fun to watch you go 9 to 15 inches left and 9 to 15 inches right and watch your opponent go, I don't know where he's going. That's pretty fun. And uh, we don't care about those people that say, <coughs> Marcus, that say that the Easterlings are boring. But <laughs> I that is a good point. When I was initially looking at the list, I was a little bit worried that there was no captain in there for the march. And then there's the sneaky little drum down there, which also I just noticed is only 15 points. That's amazing. I thought it was going to be like 20 to 30 points. That's so cheap. You would never not take it. Like, that's and, awesome. And he does <laughs> he does offer that sneaky shield wall if you face a lot of shooting. So he does is that third person to offer the shield wall to your Dragonite and Amder to get that defense six horse. Uh, okay. Oh, so you could do it with the three of them. Okay. There's your trifecta. Ah, uh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I was going to say, because I think usually you'd, you'd want to have more cataphracts for that. But yeah, I guess you could just use the three of them together. That's cool. Hmm. I think, you, honestly, you hit, like, all the beats you're, you're going to want to hit at 800 points with a pure Easterling list. I, I like the hero selection. And yeah, like I said, like, I don't think you actually really need the captain, because you have the drum in there. Uh, I mean, your courage is not great, but you have the war priest for fury. And I guess you get the army bonus when you break. What is it? You get plus one courage, right? And then you get to re-roll the if you if the scenario ends before you're ready for it too. Yeah. So okay, well since we brought it up, how how does does that actually come into play a lot? Is it like super useful? I imagine it'd be pretty handy. It won me I think at least one game in a tournament because I was actually playing another Easterling player and I had positioning as Fog of War and I had positioning over him and then he re-rolled it and then the game continued on even though it ended. And so then he got positioning over me. And so then the game ended. And then I re-rolled it. So we both used an Easterling army. It was kind of boring, but it was pretty funny. <laughs> uh, but in casual games, it's paid off like eh, three other times, I think. So not very often, but it obviously depends. There's only, what, four scenarios that end on break? One to two? Are there only four? It always feels like maybe, there's more. Maybe there's more. I can't remember. Is there is there more than four? I can't remember. But there, there's only a certain amount. So, yeah, how often do you play those scenarios? And how often does it end before you're ready for it, too? As an evil player, yeah, it pays off sometimes, but mostly it's actually that courage buff because Easterling Cataphract with the Wardrum, who is mm-hmm. your who is your objective grabber, he is courage four because he's a black dragon, and then when you break and you need him to stay on that objective, he becomes courage five, and so that way you don't have to worry about your war priest stretching all the way out to wherever he is to the objective. You know, courage five is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a good point. With uh, all the black dragons, I actually go up to a pretty decent courage. I kind of like that you only have like five or six black dragons in there. You don't have a ton, but I think it's just kind of like where you need them, right? Like you're going to have your front line of Easterlings with shield and back rank of normal Easterlings with pike and shield. And then, you know, you can slot your fight four where you want it and put the third attack. That's probably, yeah, that's a good way to run it, I think. Yeah. And you don't have to go three, three, three. Obviously, if the terrain makes you because you want to get as many attacks into a combat as possible. But if you have a pretty open board, 
I mean, there's nothing wrong with going too deep, right? And just stretching out further and further. Because what's cool about this army is that part of the phalanx special rule is you can carry a pike and a shield. So even your pikes are defense six. So if your troops are designed to die slow and you want the defense six up, you can put pikes up front and they're just as good as the shields. So you shouldn't be afraid of doing that. Just fan out. Yeah, it's yeah, like you said, they're gonna they they're gonna die slowly and that's what they're there for. I mean, the other thing I was kind of thinking about, like just toying around with the idea before the podcast was like just doing mass, like giving everybody black dragon upgrades, but then you kind of get into elven points cost of units when they're they're not really elves. Like, I like the redundancy, but I think you just your numbers are gonna go down too much for that to be viable. You have to drop Kamul on Thelbeast to do it. Yeah. So you, you yeah. drop Kamul on Thelbeast, you pick up like five or six cataphracts, five other cataphracts, something like that, and you make the whole army Black Dragon. That's pretty much the same thing. So you go up to like mm. 41, 42 models. Everybody's Black Dragon. Yeah, it's not really worth it. It's pretty expensive. Yeah, I think Cause, yeah, Kamul on the on the Thelbeast just brings a lot more versatility to the list. Yeah. I, I'm going to say Valor. I kind of want to go Legend, but there's just... Something's oh I know what it is. There's no max bows. Oh there you go. Yes I'm sorry. No, no, only I think two... probably in this list you probably don't want to. <laughs> only two. Only, only if you two max if you max sterling bows I honestly think it'll go down a rating. Yeah I yeah, agree. No, I, I agree. I it actually would probably make it worse. Because <laughs> it's all on the three heroes to do the damage. You want your boys to just sit there and die. Don't uh, listen to Ian Mitchell. <laughs> hey don't worry Ian I have another list for you. You'll like that one much better. I I would say actually. Honestly, though, I wouldn't say max the bows, but maybe go for, like, get it up to, like, the, the five or six honesty bows, because you're going to need some guys to sit on objectives. And then you can always pull that evil trick that, that they love to shoot out that one dude who's fighting the big enemy hero to stop the hero combat. That is a great so, point, except I would say that usually you want your heroes fighting their heroes. So that doesn't always come into play with Fair enough. Story. Fair enough. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you do have three heroes who can strike. I don't know why. I just, it's not... It's not screaming legend to me, but I do really like it. It's Easterlings. Yeah. I don't know. It <laughs> might be that they're just biased against them. You and every other person in the world. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We'll see. Maybe somebody can convince me that, that it is higher. Well, yeah, I got called out this year. So next tournament you guys do, if I am able to attend it, now you know what I'm bringing. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, so there's a lot I like about this list. I like the inclusion of the War Priest. It means you have the auto pass. You have a monster, you have multiple beat sticks, and you have two banners, one banner effect and an actual banner. I don't know if I like the 35 model count. Uh, I know they're all defense six, but Easterlings aren't exactly what I would call an elite army. Like if you're grinding it out with, let's say, uh, like an Iron Hills army or High Elves, its ability to grind, I don't know if you would be able to outlast an army of elites that are about the same numbers. I mean, I think if you wanted to boost your numbers, you would have to drop one of your hitters. You would, say, have to drop the Dragon Knight. And yeah, I don't know if that would actually be better, dropping the Dragon Knight and then increasing your numbers to around 40. But that's another source of blood and glory, and I don't know if I would want to mess with that. Uh, the other option is dropping the fell beast and downgrading into a horse. But again, you took the monster for a reason. So I think this is definitely a competitive list. It would be strong in a lot of scenarios and against a lot of armies. I don't know if it's a tournament winning list, though. So um, going with uh, Hero of Valor. I agree with the rest of the guys. Really solid list. I like the multiple threats. 
but I think the weaknesses are kind of inherent to just the Easterling faction. And not to say that they're a bad faction, but just in my opinion, I don't think they're in the S tier or like the top tier lists. But I think it's definitely capable of podiuming in a competitive tournament. So um, I'll go with Valor as well for this one. Okay. okay. Four Valors. Okay. That's actually really solid. Yeah. Yeah. Four Valors. So uh, what you guys are saying? What you guys are saying is it's not the worst army in the game. That's all I need you guys to say. <laughs> I, I think, honestly, I think it's just what what did it for me was like Charles pointed out. It's just the numbers and the fact like your troops are mostly just the, I, like the fight three. Like yeah. the D six is nice, but there's so much strength four ways to get around that now, and your numbers aren't great. And whenever you fight a fight four army, oh my gosh, it's such a pain. Or elves just rip it to shreds. But yeah, fight four armies horrible. Definitely low model count. Definitely not a top tier list or armed faction, I think. But what I'm arguing is that it's not the worst faction. Okay, now we got that out of the way. We can move on. <laughs> okay, uh, why don't you go with the other list you brought for today, the Easterling Alliance. All right, so we have 800 points again, and this is an alliance. This is a tricky alliance because you can do it a couple of ways. We've talked about Serpent Horde already. We've talked about Mordor. There's some really cool options with Mordor. You could go outside of Mordor. You could go with Moria. There's a lot of cool ones, actually, but I've been running a lot of Condish lately, so obviously I have to go with Cond, because they are historic, and Cond bring a kind of uh, cool hybrid to the army. I'll explain, because I think they cover some strengths, but they also open up new weaknesses when you do this. But for the list, this is 800 points. We have Amder on an armored horse, and this is kind of the debate I was talking with people about. Do I make him my leader in this one or not? I still don't think you should make him your leader, but he's a three-wound fight-six hero, so there's still debate for that. Maybe some input from you guys would be great on whether you would put him as your leader or not in this list. But anyway, so we have Amder on an armored horse, and he has five Easterling warriors with shield, five Easterling warriors with pikeet shield. Then you have a war priest in Warband 2, and he has five Easterling warriors with shield, five Easterling warriors with pikeet shield. So you have 20 Easterling warriors with Amder on a horse and a war priest. So there's your fury... There's your fight six hero. Then the alliance. You have a Condish king on chariot. Now, I will sing praises to the end of the days about these guys. These guys are so much fun to me. They got the strike. They got the chariots. That's obviously good. But what I think the biggest thing they offer is the six-inch banner to go with the cavalry. So they got all that included in. So the Condish king on chariot, he's got four Condish horsemen with him. And for those who don't know, Condish horsemen, their defense four, fight four. They have a hand-and-half axe and a bow. Oh, and the army bonus for the Condish army is that their horsemen don't count towards their bow limit. Warband, what is that? One, two, three, four, is a Condish chieftain on chariot, and he's got three horsemen. And then Warband five is a Condish chieftain on chariot, and he's got three horsemen. So this list has, obviously, Amder and the War Priest and the 20 Easterlings, but included with that, you have a Condish king on chariot, two Condish chieftains on chariot, and then 10 horsemen. And that's 13 bows, Ian. Thank you. Love it. Be- beautiful. <laughs> it's not max bows, though. No, it's not Max. Pretty close, though. <laughs> pretty close. So the way I would play this army, being that I've played a few times, it's pretty hard. I think if you're running three or less, I wouldn't recommend running less than three chariots. It, they don't they don't pay off for you. if you Because where one stalls, the other one takes over kind of a thing. So they grow exponentially with their numbers and their effectiveness, I think. But if you are only taking three chariots, I think they have to be hero chariots. This list has 35 models as well, 
one of the options I was toying with was swapping one of the chieftains on chariot with just a normal charioteer. And then you can add six more pike shields. So you go up to 41 models, but you drop two points of might from 10 to eight. And then you, you have a charioteer who's okay, but they're not as good as the heroes. They don't have the fight five and they don't have the bow and the hand and a half axe and the might to go with it. Plus the will to resist magic. Um, so I kind of see this army kind of being like similar to the other list I gave where you kind of set up your phalanx somewhere to plug. And then you have Amder and then you have a couple of hero chariots. You have cavalry. You have 10 horses that are flanking the sides that are fight for. They can piercing strike. They can go hand and half. They have the banner supports from Amder and from the Kondish King. And then you have the marches from the Kondish King and the two Kondish chieftains. You can push really, really hard. And yeah, that's pretty much it. You have a priest to back it up to throw a blade wrath onto any of the heroes, the chieftains or the Kondish King or Amder. And no, the blade wrath does not affect the monster's charge on the chariots. I'll just get that out of the way. <laughs> oh, you mean the the trample damage? Uh, no, the the because the, the chariots are monstrous charge. So if you throw a channeled blade wrath onto a Kondish King who becomes strength ten. Oh. The Blade Wrath says specifically it only affects your strength when you make strikes, and you knock over the person before okay. you make strikes. So Okay. It goes up to strength 6, right? Strength 6 normally if you okay. channel it strength 10, yeah. So you're saying you can't Blade Wrath the chariot wheels? No, that would be pretty fun, too, but that's different. <laughs> Hot it says wheels. putting on some swords onto the animal. God, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> Those are some spicy wheels you got there, boys. <laughs> Damn. So we know that... Pearls um, usually destroy chariots immediately. Is the same goes for uh, Sorcerer's Blast as well? No. Okay. So, so in, the chari- in the chariot profile, it says specifically that things like Nature's Wrath, Wrath of Bruin, and Call Winds, or uh, Sorcerer's Blast, do not affect the chariot at all. So only Brutal Power attacks are the really the big weakness for chariots. They can be compelled, or they can be sentineled, or spectered, or whatever you want. That's a weakness, too. You have two will on the Kondish King and only one will on the Kondish Chieftain. So that's magic and monsters are definitely the biggest weaknesses for them. So hopefully you're kiting the monsters with Amber or something like that. That would be your target. Okay, good to know. Yeah, so my first thoughts on this list, I think it's a very fun list to play. And um, I think Mitchell will have to forgive me on this one. But from my experience playing against chariots, generally it hasn't been the most competitive thing. But that might just be because I do bring a lot of magic and monsters in my list, in my lists in general. So I tend to see their weaknesses a lot easier. And the model count is, is a bit low for 800. And when you brought up the way to boost it up to 41, I actually might prefer that version of the list a bit more. But yeah, personally, I don't think I would be that scared to face it in a tournament. I'm sure it's a blast to play, but... I would have to give it a fortitude for this one, but I'm looking forward to you proving me wrong on this. (laughs) I'm coming for you. (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) Now, I like the mobility of the list, having the horses, having the chariots. However, I mean, when I have played the chariots, they can be a bit underwhelming. Definitely had a couple of games where I've managed to stop the chariot or hit combat with a few lucky little pot shots from some work bows. Always work bows. Honesty bows win games. Honesty bows. <laughs> Honesty bows win championships. It's a good list. I like it. I think it's a little bit, Richard has already pointed out, it's a little bit weak to magic with the uh, ability to, to move them against their will. 
I also like the ability to increase your model count a bit. 35 at 800 points with an army like Cond or Easterlings can be a little bit of a risk. All it takes sometimes is one lucky little strike. Like I said, the time with uh, my little orc honesty bows that I knocked off a chariot and essentially eliminated a 30-point model. Yeah. It can be a real game-breaker. But I think it looks like a lot of fun. As you were talking about it, I really debate back and forth whether or not to make the Kondish King your general in order to free up Amder to do all of his crazy combat shenanigans. But I'd still probably have to leave it at a hero of fortitude. A good one, but still hero of fortitude. You guys are harsh, man. What the heck? <laughs> oh, I like it. I like it. No, I love uh, the challenge because now it just means I get to prove it wrong and I get to rub it in their faces. <laughs> no, so... no it, every point that you guys have brought up is spot on. It's it's so true. That's why I actually was reluctant to swap out for a charioteer because, honestly, Alex was right. Just one pot shot can take out a 30-point model. It's so true. They're very susceptible to specters and, and magic, and they become a liability when you're only running three. If you're running five or six, which is the version I really like to run, they're not a liability anymore. They're they're an asset. But very, very solid points. And I agree with all of you. It's one of those ones that's very tricky to use. Honestly, like, I, I flat out disagree with the other two with this one. Just because, like, your numbers are low, but you have 10 cavalry that are just non-heroes, 10 normal cavalry, and then you have three chariots, and the war priest is not mounted? Not mounted. But you still have Amdor mounted too, so you've got like, they're all good threats. They're all at least fight five. The king and Amdor are fight six, and they can both strike. King you is gotta... fight five in this edition. Oh, they they reduced five? him. Yeah, they reduced him in this edition. <sighs> I know. Well, he's still got strike, so it's not the yes. worst thing. And, and like you said earlier, when you were talking about Andrew, he's going to... Oh, that's... He also funny. lost his elven made uh, axe. It used to be yeah. elven made, I think. Elven glaive? Yeah. Elven yeah. glaive, yeah. yeah. Anyway, anyway, okay. So, But he's still got strike, so that's good. And he's got the defensive bulwark, like we talked about earlier, so breaking him down is going to be hard. And he is a, a banner to all Condish guys, which I don't think is that big of an issue, honestly, that it's only on the con because he's going to be like in there and surrounded by the chariots and by all your cavalry. Mm-hmm. So he's not really going to be like close enough to these things to make a difference. You've got a lot of maneuverability in that because you've got all three of the con guys can march. So you have six potential marches in there if you wanted to, along with a ton of cavalry and stuff. There's a lot of potential there for like maneuver and there's like a lot of scenarios now depend on maneuvering. So I really like it. Honestly, I, I, I'm going to go with Valor, but you still have a lot of stuff that is low defense, even though they are cavalry, and you don't have an actual banner in there, which can matter in, like, the three scenarios now? Yes. I think it's three, yeah. I think it's three. So, oh, yeah, and then is Andrew the leader in this one, or did you make it the king? That's just the debate. I think it's going to be the king for me, because the defensive bulwark has paid off so much. Um, yeah, you're really, really aggressive with the king, and you're also aggressive with Amner, so do you put it on your three-wound fight-six hero, Elven Maid, or do you put it on your defensive bulwark chariot? Nah, that's a good toss-up. That's a good debate, I think. It could go either way for me. I mean, yeah, the only thing Amder has over him is the one wound, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then he's got the bulwark. So, unless you're going against, like, an Allegalus, where he could just try and get some cheeky wounds, you know, it's not a big difference. So you said that the Sorcerer's Blast isn't affected. Would they still take the hit from it, though? Yeah, they, they still take the hit. They just cannot okay. be moved from it. Yes, that's good. Yeah. So Fireball, Sorcerer's Blast, they still take damage from it, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with Valor. Just because, like, I like the, the all the cavalry in there is something you don't see in a lot of lists. 
So even though you only have the 35 models, I think it's good. It's fine that you're that low, considering, you know, at least, what, a third to a half of it is mounted. <sighs> then again, you could run into issues. If you have a table with a lot of terrain, it's not going to be very fun for you. The chariots, they're hard to maneuver. They're tricky, but I haven't run into a lot of board issues because of them. I've been playing a lot of pure con, so I'm running six chariots in my pure con list. And one of the things I love that it gives me is total board control. When you drop chariots, it kind of puts your opponent on a backpedal because they're so afraid of the march with the impact hits that even though they're not that scary, they still are playing defense instead of offense, which is kind of cool because you run in there, you do your damage, you break, and you end the game. Who's standing on the objectives? You Usually you are. So. Yeah, but if you have that many chariots, like you said, one will stall, but you know another one yeah. will get through. So it, it is debatable about three. I don't know how effective they'll be with only three. My history with only three is hit or miss, honestly. They can still do some cool things. I think what they offer, though, is the board control, the pressure, the mounted units, and then Amder can be broken free because your opponent's focus is going to be all on these chariots, right? He's not even focused about on Amder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think the other two are too harsh. I stand with you. <laughs> Oh, thank you. <laughs> Just know that if you had Max for bows, Ian would have given you a legend. Dang it, I could have gotten a legend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry, there was one more thing I wanted to say about the chariots, is that in regards to terrain, is like my biggest concern with that is that I think you will be able to maneuver them, like the three of them, it won't be too hard, but you'll kind of be set in like certain paths. Mm. So if your opponent can recognize that and, and see that, they're going to know where your chariots yeah. are able to move. That's which true. Is very yeah. interesting when it's, you know, a lot of your combat prowess is in those chariots. Yeah, there is only channels that they can go in, so you kind of look at the channels. They are able to pivot 180, just so you know, in one turn. So they pivot at the start, they pivot every three inches, and then they can pivot at the end. So that's four turns at 45 degrees. They can pivot 180, and they can actually hit something to the side of them. So I have pivoted around a wall, and it's still been able to attack someone with that 180 turn in one turn. So still not very maneuverable, still not ideal, but more maneuverable than the Iron Hills Chariot, which can only pivot three times, and that's only eight inches of movement. Yeah, yeah. Uh, these ones move ten? Yes. Yeah. To be so, honest with you, I was almost at, at a legend, but yeah, there are still weaknesses. I, I don't know why yeah. everybody's hating on it so much. Yeah. <laughs> no, under, understandable, it. understandable. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I'm a fan of the chariot mechanic. I think it can be very powerful if you play it right. But yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of the 40-point version with the charioteer. The 30, um, it, yeah, 30, yep. In my opinion, I don't think you ever take the charioteer in a tournament because it's just the risk of like no resistance whatsoever and you could be moved and you could basically run over your own models, right? Right, um, yeah. If you run a charioteer into your own chariot, both the platform and the rider takes hits, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's that huge liability. Could, uh, that could yeah. hurt. Um, also, a, yeah, also, a single deadly shot can just take one out on a 5+. plus. That's okay, 30 so, points down the drain. So I feel like I need to defend myself here. I feel like I'm being attacked <laughs> on a personal level. Fight. So Fight. <laughs> I'm not in love with the charioteer. It was more so I like the sound of 41 numbers versus 35 in 800 point lists. So... Whatever that means, I think. Even if it includes dropping a chariot and just filling it out with other troops, I think I would go with that. I wasn't meaning to say that your suggestion was bad. I do think this needs more models, too. I just wanted to point out that I'm not a big fan of the charioteer profile. (laughs) If it was me, I would put the king as leader. I think he's more reliable than he looks. 
because I think he can banner himself. So you're looking at like a four dice rerolling one dice on the charge. Yeah. And, and a lot of times you're piercing striking because there's only a 33% chance they can actually hit the king on top. And that's only one chance per model. So piercing right. striking is not as much of a risk. So your strength five a lot of times too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I also like, I like the heroic resolve where if chariot's main weakness is magic, and if you run out of will to resist, you can always call a resolve if you still have the might. I want to see how this list looks with two kings and chariots. Mm. Um, instead of two chieftains, maybe drop a chieftain and upgrade it to a, a king or or something like that. Uh, your numbers would drop even more, but I feel like if you went more chariots, the I fun that... factor goes up, and maybe the competitive level. Instead of taking so many horsemen, you take more chariots. I don't know. Maybe three like three heroes and chariots? And you I, just I like, have, like, three lawnmowers in your army? I like that because um, <laughs> I love the Kandish Kings. And actually, they're 125. So if you drop two chieftains, which are 85 points apiece, you actually get more room for more model count. So that's not a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah, swap the two you, chieftains you lose, for a king. Yeah, that's a good idea. I think these guys pointed out before, like, the terrain, you do have to follow, like, the pivot rule. <laughs> um, terrain can be very difficult for you, especially on some of the boards that we see at tournaments with like only like a 40 millimeter or like a 60 millimeter gap. So you would kind of have to like squeeze through and take an extra turn even. Uh, I can see that happening. Yeah. Also, there seems to be more and more Defense 7 armies popping up, in, at least uh, in the tournaments that we've been playing at. So I don't know how effective the Chariot's uh, trample damage will do against Defense 7. So I think this has a lot of potential, but there are definitely more weaknesses than your previous list. I'm going to give it a Hero Fortitude as well. Okay. So, Y'all a bunch of haters. <laughs> I so, think what I'll end with is, um, even though this was supposed to be an Easterling list about Amber, it did turn into chariots because they're, they're chariots, obviously. we got to talk about them. I will defend the chariots by saying the success I've had with the chariots is not running one to three typically. They can be good. I think where they really become devastating is like the five to six chariots. That's that's it. All right, I'm done. I'm off my soapbox. <laughs> Thank you for uh, bringing your two Amdur lists to share with us today. Mm -hmm. And now on to the open topic of the day. So our open topic is going to be uh, us sharing our favorite lists that we've brought to a tournament and our tournament experiences. Each of us will be going over a different tournament and sharing what kind of army we brought in, kind of our favorite moments. Alex, would you like to start with your favorite tournament? Sure. I mean, I've, I really just picked a more recent one because obviously with the long pause in tournaments, there haven't been any since March. So I went with a tournament that we played, I believe it was in January of this year. We played at the local uh, games workshop. Can't, can't remember how many points was it. Was it 600 or was it 800? It was 400, yeah. my dude. <laughs> it, it was Close. a 400. <laughs> As you can see, I, I remember many fine details about this tournament. I believe I had uh, King's Champion and Ballin. And then just your standard layout of uh, majority warriors sprinkling in probably somewhere in the range of a third Kazid guard, maybe a couple of iron guard. 
I played it very much the way I would a lot of my dwarf lists. Let the two big heroes really munch through the opponent, and at low points that really helped me out. High defense is very forgiving, especially in smaller games like that. Throughout the tournament, I think the matchups that I came across definitely helped me. Like, I remember playing round two, do remember it being Lords of Battle against Josh, who is now out on the East Coast. He had kind of a horde list. I think a lot of orcs involved. Hordes like that, obviously, lower defense, lower fight. Matchups like that really worked out well for me on the day. Actually got Ballin to pull his weight, which sometimes I find a bit of a struggle. Having the King's Champion in there with a high fight value and the two banners on a small army like that really made up for the lack of spears and pikes. In that tournament, I got a lot of power just out of being able to use both of those heroes to damage my opponent's army and hold key points on the board. Being able to put the King's Champion in a doorway, I remember in the last game, to block my opponent from making it to an objective when he realized that he needed to get there. Uh, being able to put, put a defense 8, 3 attack, fight 6 hero in there really stops that from happening. It all went quite well. My only loss in the four games came to Ian in, uh, was it uh, Clash by Moonlight? Ian had a, uh, oh, had a I remember go a heavy now. list. He had, had a very guard. Yeah. <laughs> You had Thedra's guard against my normally very meaty, defensively strong defense seven. You had the plus one to wound and like 10,000 throwing weapons. I was, I was at the table next to you guys, and I remember seeing uh, the look on Alex's face during uh, each shoot phase. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah each, I... shoot, each shoot phase in that match was a, a new nightmare, but ultimately <laughs> I was pretty happy with the overall way that, that tournament went for me. I'm still kind of... But at that lower points, it really paid off for me. I came third out of, I think, 16 or 18 players, and it was my best finish at a tournament. So I, I really enjoyed that. All right. Awesome. Richard, you want to go? Uh, sure. So I guess when we talk about favorite experiences, I still have to like touch on Nova because it was just such an epic event to be at. And obviously being able to play in such a competitive tournament, I think... Last year, it was close to 90 people or 80, 90 people. And then being able to compete for the trophy and um, ending up fifth overall was a big accomplishment. But because we already talked extensively about this in our episode one, I'm going to go with one of the local tournaments from March 2019. So this was actually the biggest or the first big tournament that I entered after rejoining the hobby we talked earlier about the first one that i got to play mitchell in but i don't really count that one as it wasn't really my models and i didn't really know the rules oh, here then. come the excuses yeah. <laughs> just i, I want to you know defend myself a little bit <laughs> i gotta have an excuse for every loss you know? oh yeah <laughs> i do the same thing absolutely i only lost because my dice rolled yeah exactly <laughs> Yeah, I do it. I, I couldn't blame dice in that game, so, you know. I had Man, to if this wasn't game. a dice game, I'd be so good at it. <laughs> <laughs> you laugh, but I think that's the only reason why I'm halfway decent. <laughs> uh, but anyway, this was um, the first big local tournament that I went to. I think there was about 24 players. I brought a Last Alliance list. My heroes were basically Elendil as the leader, I Captain of Numenor pre-nerf Kirdan and Aristor. And about like two to three nights, uh, 34 models, all at 800 points. And so I was 
playing these guys on the podcast fairly consistently up until the tournament, and I was doing fairly well, so I was quite excited. But going into the tournament, I didn't really know what to expect, so all the games kind of stuck out to me. The first game I got to play was against someone who's brand new. I believe it was his first game after the demo, so I tried to make that a fun game, but uh, (laughs) unfortunately there wasn't much of a chance for him. And then in the second round, I actually got to play Charles, which um, I ended up pulling the victory. I believe he was playing his Adepticon list, which was his camels and half trolls, that sort of nightmare. But I was able to pull Lords of Battle in that scenario, which was advantageous for me. And then in the third game, I played Ilya with his Angmar with about 12 Spectres, I believe. And it was just horrid especially in heirlooms of ages past and uh the the heirloom ended up being more on his side so i did lose to him in that one and he ended up being the tournament winner the following day i played turlock uh, who was running the return of the king legendary legion i was able to pull the victory in that one as well and then in my final game i played ian actually and i believe that was domination and he was running uh, Survivors of Lake Town and Halls of Thranduil's Alliance. Yeah. And so I won, I believe, like a minor victory in that one. It was a close game. I'm sure Ian has a lot to say. Um, All let's I hear remember, excuses right now. <laughs> the only thing I really remember is, like, I think you got onto the objectives better than me, but the one thing that sticks out is Legolas trying to snipe, like, Elendil's horse and snipe at Kirdan over, like, the whole game, so, like, 10 turns. And I think he managed, like, a single wound on Kirdan. Because I remember he had, like, he still had his might left at the end of the game, like, two, at least two points of might, because I kept on rolling, like, twos to wound on, like, every single one. And I was just, ugh, that's, ugh, frustration to the max. I mean, it was Kirdan before the nerf, right? What can you say? He's a beast. It's OP. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I ended up second in that tournament, which was really surprising for me, but I had a lot of fun and just got to know a lot of these guys in the local scene a lot better and yeah really got sucked into the hobby after that even more also to be fair richard that like opponent lineup you had that's like my nightmare <laughs> yeah like, oh, good, i gotta play richard i gotta play charles i gotta play Ilya. Oh, god <laughs> yeah that'd be horrible <laughs> that it's your first one so considering you finished second that's a pretty good shout out <laughs> i think that event was fun for everyone because uh it was the first time we hit 24 players, and we had at least four people that we've never seen before, four or five. And it was our biggest American showing. I think we had like six Americans or something come up, uh, Mitchell included. Uh, yeah, something like that. It was like yeah, um, you, Brian, uh, we had, Marcus, we had Nick, Nick, and, and Pat. Pat. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. It was it was it was a great event. I think maybe the best of 2019. Yeah, just a great showing and a lot of great players. A lot of variety of armies very fun event yeah mitchell do you want to talk about your favorite tournament yeah uh i did the last tournament actually out like kind of like alex it's the last one that stuck in my mind but it also was probably the most unique army i took to an event and that was we were talking about it earlier it's earl the young with a bunch of sons allied in with minas tirith you had a king of men on an armored horse with a lance and shield you had a knight of the white tower you had a captain on horse with a lance you had a trebuchet, you had a bunch of Gondor warriors, a bunch of rangers, and two banners in that list. It was super fun. 
that was a thousand points. That was our practice tournament for Adepticon. That was before it got canceled, but that was uh, also the list I was going to take to Adepticon. It was a pretty fun list. I liked it a lot. Uh, that was a tournament I started off. So game one, I played Josh, I think. Uh, I would have to pull up my list, but I know I played Josh at one point. I know I played Charles. I played Richard. Who else did I play? I played, uh, it was fun. I know the last game I played, which I, I, I played Marcus. And Okay, it's one thing to lose top table final round. It's another thing to lose to your brother. Let me just throw that out there. Okay. I'm off my soapbox there, but that was a super fun event. It was really fun. I had a lot of uh, fun running the Suns and meeting some people again, because you still meet people every single time. You learn new armies. You see a bunch of new armies. I, I just love tournaments for the social factor. It's super fun. I know that um, you spend a lot of time on that army, and you build a display. You had a whole bunch of conversions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did the snow basings. Yeah, that that was pretty fun. I liked that army. Yeah. And you won Best Good Army, which... I think I think you did, right? Yeah. Yes, I did. Yep. Yeah, very well deserved. Thank you. Memorable games too. I had one game in particular that I I'm trying to remember who I played against, but I just remember my trebuchet just went off like ridiculous. Like it just rolled six after six after six. I I I don't know who I, I can't remember. I can't remember who I played. <laughs> I don't think he's recovered yet. Honestly, he might still be in a coma. Oh, uh, such a close game, and it was just so ridiculous because it was so close. We're all intense, and then when it's when that started happening, it was just became funny, and it, it, you took it well. But I honestly, to this day, I still don't think I would have won that game. How close it was! It was just that last second trebuchet hit. But that was probably one of my favorite games of the year so far, Richard. Just so you know, it happens. It happens. So Richard was running. This was game four. This was the second day, and Richard's running a, a Galadriel Lothlorien a Boromir of Gondor, a Faramir of Minas Tirith, which a bunch of Minas Tirith, a uh, Angbor the Fearless with some Delarmroth men-at-arms, and a Gwaihir. That's right, Gwaihir. <laughs> so, Pure Phil. I know, right? So he's got this whole magic monster combo, like 18 might, whatever. He's got the blinding light. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll see. Turn one, I'll see what this trebuchet can do through the blinding light. It directly hits Boromir of Gondor and kills him. All right, well, that's pretty cool. My trebuchet paid off. It came down to the, like, closing ends of the game. The second to last turn, it's coming close. We're playing breakthrough. We're pushing for objectives. We're going back and forth, back and forth. And I see Gladril sitting in the back. She's still got the blinding light up. She's sitting on Richard's objective. I was like, what the hell? I'll shoot the trebuchet again. And I directly hit Gladril and killed Gladril. So there you go. I scored multiple VPs with the trebuchet that game. And forever will be known as the aimbot in my list. Yeah, it, it took some uh, help on my end, too, by failing her, uh, I think, one or two fate tests at the end there with the rerolls. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, you had one single fate left and you failed the reroll. Yep. I, I, wanted, I just want to say that I hate siege weapons, and <laughs> but but it's not just because of you, but I know. Yeah. No, <laughs> I and, and there, there's reason. I know, I know, I understand because I never thought that they would do anything. I only took it to like make my opponents like freak out. Oh my gosh, he's got a siege weapon. And then when I saw what it did to you, I'm like, okay, this is kind of unfair. You know, if this happens to me in a tournament, I'm I'm flipping the table, right? <laughs> like. <laughs> Thank you but, for the help, by the way. Yeah, no worries. Anytime. <laughs> but I will say that we were talking about how you were trying to build a competitive list with Earl, but it didn't start out that way. That list really took me by surprise because it had a lot more tools than I expected. And aside from Earl, it didn't have any other named heroes. And usually when I see something like that, I don't really view it as a threat. 
So I think it was kind of also my mistake by underestimating it. It mm-hmm. definitely can hold its own. It's got some sneaky, sneaky guys, sneaky captains. Ian? Okay, so I kind of wanted to do the same one that Alex did, but my list that I took to that isn't super exciting. It's Theodred's Guard, and honestly, just I'll just leave it at that it's a really good list at low points and highly underrated. Very good Legion. But the event that I did actually choose to do is uh, when we all went down to Portland back in October of 2019, which is our first time going down there, and we got to see all all the American guys who usually come up to our tournaments and a lot more like new faces, so that was really cool. This was basically in this little stint around the time of Nova, too. So this is about a month after Nova, when I had been going to tournaments every two weeks, and this was like the third one in a row. And I didn't know what to take leading up to it. I had no idea, no plans. I didn't want to take my Novalist because I've been playing with that nonstop for like four months. So I just kind of wrote up like something super weird because I thought it'd be fun. And it kind of went back to this theory I've been trying, which is trying to take like decent numbers, but then just mass amounts of three attack heroes. So what I ended up with was Eldan and Eldro here on horses, Kirdan, Borovmir of Gondor with the shield and the horse, and Galadriel, Lady of Light. And then I filled out the High Elf Warbands. I had a High Elf with a banner and a couple knights and everything else was just spear shields, bows, a couple guys with nothing. And that ended up at like 28 models, which is something like super low. I never really run like lists below 30 models at 800. But I was like, whatever, you know, I'll just try. We'll have some fun. We'll mess around with it. And I didn't really expect much from it just because of the scenarios we were playing. We were playing Capture and Control, Fog of War, Storm the Camp, Reconnoiter, and Clash by Moonlight. So a lot of those ones, you just want numbers. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's not going to it's not going to do that well. And I ended up winning four of the five games, which just like completely took me by surprise. And it's just, yeah, I, I don't know. It was weird. And I, I like all the synergies and stuff in that list, like with Galadriel covers Boromir. We've talked about that before on the podcast. And then combined with Kirdan and the Terror Bubble, it helps that. And I also remember being really giddy for my round one game. Because I was playing against an army of the dead with Galadriel, Lady of Light, and I never, I never done that before. I wanted to see like if it would go how I thought, and yeah, she was just, she was horrendous. She would just zap a ghost every turn. It was just like, ah, I pop this cavalry that's twenty points. Ah, I pop this cavalry that's twenty points. Ah, I pop your spear support behind that key fight, and it was just, ah, it's, it's horrible. I, I know then, what your excitement is. I've done that once before to, to Turlock. It was so much it was so fun. Oh, yeah. Going, like, I think he was a newer player, too. And I like I kind of felt bad, but I was just having so much fun just doing that. And then because of the amount of might I had in the list, I was just like, oh, I rolled fives to wound and I need sixes. Sure, I'll spend some might. I, I probably spent like half my might just killing ghosts because just getting rid of the models at that point just helps me so much. It was yeah, I, I had a lot of fun in the game. I don't know if my opponent did, <laughs> The other thing is, I also got to play against an Angmar list with Galadriel Lady of Light, which was cool. So I think they did pretty well. But this was also in the third game on day one. So that's the last game on that day. And about halfway through the game, I was like, wait a second. Boromir has the Horn of Gondor. <laughs> And he was fighting underneath a shade, too, so he was, like, spending might to win fights. And then, like, halfway through, I'm like, wait a sec. Wait a sec. I got this minus one bubble and this, like, Horn of Gondor that I was thinking about using, and I haven't remembered it until, like, halfway through the tournament. And I was like, wait, I gotta blow the horn. And my opponent looks at me and he's like, yeah, man, I was wondering why you hadn't done that earlier. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'm a fool. Yeah, no, it was just a lot of fun. The one game that I did lose was against Richard. 
you scoundrel. And I think that was because you outpositioned me a bit. And I remember you kind of closed with your little, your Lake Town uh, Merkwood list really quickly because of the, all the heroic marches on the uh, the Lake Town captain. And I was like, no, this is fine. You know, my Kyrdan's a little bit out of position, but I got two ranks in front of him. And then the first turn, Thranru heroic combat, it killed the four guys in front of him. And then Thranru was just standing there looking at Kyrdan for the next turn to charge in. And I was like, oh, oh no. <laughs> oh no. And then, yeah, he went down and the game kind of spiraled away from me there. But yeah, it was a lot of fun going down there, meeting a lot of new guys, playing a lot of fun games. And I was just, again, just so surprised an army with like such low model count could win a lot of these games even like reconnoiter usually i'm pretty bad at that one too but i actually managed to get boromir and both my knights off i don't know it's just i was very much surprised by how well it did i just want to say for that tournament hosted by pat in portland they had an amazing venue and with great terrain great boards it just made everything a lot better plus like the the store that we were playing in like, we were playing upstairs, so it was like kind of a private setting. And then downstairs, there's like an open bar and stuff, so that just adds to it. It's a great venue. Pat puts on some great tournaments. It can even be a tactic, like, oh, yeah, hey, let me buy you a beer, my new opponent. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's... That's next-level strategies. <laughs> Definitely That's... some points in the last game where I was like, hey, like, you know, I was like, okay, you know, time for a beer. Let's go, boys. <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, Guardian Games. I think he provided lunch, too, both days. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, yeah, that was an excellent, excellent tournament, excellent venue. Everything was awesome there, for sure. It's a good shout-out. The tournament that I wanted to talk about was Adepticon of last year, 2019. Sadly, the 2020 Adepticon was canceled. Adepticon is in Schaumburg, Illinois, which is near Chicago. It was my second time going to the tournament, and it's held at a massive hotel, similar to Nova Open. And uh, there was a huge hall that we all played in. It was around 50 players. And unlike a lot of convention-style tournaments, this one was only a one-day event, four games. Last year's Adepticon was the first international tournament that I was attending since the new edition. So there was a lot of anticipation building up because I was kind of looking into, you know, what people in other metas and other communities might like to play. And uh, there's just a lot of things changed with this new edition. You know, I I wanted to bring this Farhad list with Suladan's Warband allied in. The list is essentially Suladan with, I think, seven or eight Haradrim warriors. And then two kings. In each king's warband are four half-trolls, four camels, and five warriors. And yeah, I was kind of going in with fingers crossed, thinking that, okay, uh, Magic got nerfed this edition, so I'm going to go in with very little resistance and no caster. And um, I ended up facing Ganalf the White and Sauron, arguably two of the best casters <laughs> oh, in the game. Oh, oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> game one, Contest of Champions. Not my favorite scenario in the rules, <laughs> rules pack, but it was Contest of Champions, and it was a very intense game to start. I'm facing the army with Ganalf the White. And uh, he had a fiefdoms army with Gandalf allied in, a lot of axemen and, and swan knights, and I think fountain courts. Imrahil got a really good head start. He killed, I think, three models, and Gandalf blasted Suladan off his horse, which is my leader. And he was on the ground for like three turns, not doing anything. So I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'll go with a submarine strategy in this tournament. <laughs> and then Imrahil died the next turn, so... Suladan got up and he spent the last two turns trying to get his three kills in order to tie. And I think I won by one victory point. 
he got just enough kills to tie Immerhill, I think, and then I broke my opponent. So uh, that was a really close game to start. Second game, I played an Easterling player, and yeah, he wasn't as good as Mitchell, obviously, because I was able to beat him. Hey, I am, uh, what's, I think you've beaten me like three or four times. <laughs> yeah. I'm just basing it off our last game, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so he he played pure Easterlings. I think it was capture and control. I think um, he didn't have enough to deal with the half trolls. He had a war priest, but the war priest couldn't be everywhere at once, so he couldn't charge me a lot of the time. And also my whole army being strength four and five, I was just able to whittle his numbers down really quickly. And I was able to stand on the objectives early on and hold on to them. I imagine those fight five half trolls were really a pain for the heroes too, actually. Having to burn my... <laughs> yeah. Other than Amder, the rest of his heroes really struggled. So the third game was hold ground against uh, Baradur. It was my first time playing against Baradur this edition. And um, I think I had the better deployment. It was on a board with rivers flowing from the edges to the center. I think I got the better picks for deployment and I was able to reach the middle first. Sauron was very scary for my heroes, especially when I only had two will on each of the kings and three on Suladan. I was able to kind of just pin Sauron with a half troll every turn and then have my heroes stand just outside of cast range. That's how <laughs> that's how my heroes were able to survive that game. And then the final game was Lords of Battle, and it was against uh, Rise of Thedon Legendary Legion which was very advantageous for me because each of the riders gave me at least two points because of the horse. And a lot of the time I would charge a camel in and the impale would get the horse since the impale does the hit to the rider and the mount. So I felt like um, camels had an edge against um, an all cavalry army. So I finished with four wins and I was able to get second place and bring home one of the Forge World trophies. So that was really exciting, a really exciting event for me. And also just a big tournament testing out the new edition. That was really exciting as well, because we were all looking forward to uh, playing the new rules in an international setting. Very cool. And I think at that tournament, you brought home additional hardware, didn't you? Yeah, so Adepticon, they give these really big metal medals that you wear around your neck. And I got one for Deadliest Heroes the, the day before. We played 1,000-point uh, all-hero armies. I brought a great company at 1,000 points, since it's all-hero all list anyway. And I remember at that tournament, the Dark Powers of Dolgoldor was very popular. I think partially because if you take the Necromancer and all nine Nazgul and the Keeper of the Dungeon, it's exactly 1,000 points. So There were three Dark Powers lists out of the 12 of us playing doubles. Three dark powers lists. It's because they don't know the power of the White Council. <laughs> well, uh, maybe. And one of them was Pat, and I played Pat at <laughs> at a convention. Yeah, and then I got one other medal for favorite army for favorite army. Yes, favorite evil army. I didn't really bring a display. I kind of made a tray with like sand under it, so it was kind of like like a half a display, but it was portable, fit in my carry on. So yeah, I got the favorite evil there. And then I got another medal for the GT. So, yeah, I brought a lot of hardware and had a lot of fun. Your posture definitely got worse from carrying around all those medals. Yeah, I was going to ask. Sore back. I was going to ask if you could recommend a chiropractor after having to wear those medals around for so long. <laughs> I think that has been our discussion on our favorite tournaments. Thank you all for listening and. 
look forward to the next episode of Into the West. And thanks, Mitchell, for joining us. Oh, yeah. Right. Anytime. Yeah. Anytime. I had a blast, guys. It was super